0: Saturday, December 5th, WWE Hall of Famer, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff, comes to Collector's World in Annandale, Virginia. For more information, please visit collectorsworldva.com, and pricing starts at only $25. That's WWE Hall of Famer, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff, Saturday, December 5th, 2015, from 11.30 to 12.30 at Collectors World in Annandale, Virginia. Visit CollectorsWorldVA.com for more information, because it's going to be absolutely wonderful. Chad
1: and John,
2: the two-man power
1: trip. That's uh, that's an awesome
2: uh, name for yourselves. Good, how you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man, what's going on? We ready to go or what? Oh, okay. Chad. Uh, this is
1: Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and
2: you're listening to the two man power trip of wrestling.
3: Hey, man, what's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide What a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. <laughs> hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me.
2: They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you
3: the greatest legends, hall of famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are
2: Primetime Pod and Jazz, the two men!
0: This is the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling brought to you today and powered by Bombas. Bombas is a mind blowing athletic leisure sock with a mission to help those in need. And please be sure to stay tuned a little bit later on the show as Mr. Jonathan Primetime Paz is going to tell you a little bit more about a special promotion for Bombas through the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. And please stay tuned for that, and I'm going to welcome him in in just a minute. But my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the aforementioned primetime John Paz. And John, today in the show, we're packed top to bottom, wall to wall, joined by two fantastic independent wrestling superstars, one who's been on the WWE's radar as of late in Drew Gulak, and one who is a, not only is a great worker, but he's a trainer to some of the uh, the best names in Ring of Honor right now, like uh, Warbeard Hansen and Donovan Dijak, and that is Brian Fury, and the Brian Fury episode, or portion of the episode, was recorded a few months back, and unfortunately there were some maintenance issues where the file was a little tainted, so it took some time to get it out there, so uh, we really really hope you enjoy because actually listening back to it is one of my favorite episodes that we did it's very you know it's very cookie cutter with some of the questions but it's just fantastic Uh, But first, we're going to get into Drew Gulak, and Drew Gulak, of course, you know, he's a star through so many professional wrestling organizations in the country. You know, of course, CZW comes to mind and Evolve, and he just has been making such a great name for himself, and over the summer, he attended a WWE NXT Performance Center tryout and was said to be the standout. And as we've seen a couple of his buddies get signed by the WWE in the last few months, I think the main question was to ask Drew first is, are you signed to a Performance Center or a WWE NXT deal? And his answer was uh, quite frank, and I think you really should look forward to that. But John, what's your take on Drew Gulak and what he can provide to the WWE down the road and I guess his overall growth as a professional wrestler?
2: Yes, that's right, chatty boy, back again with another great episode here at the two-man power trip of a wrestling, and this time it's kind of a guy who's been, I would say, under the radar, one of the greatest talents, one of the greatest workers, one of the greatest wrestlers, whoever you want to say it, on the independent scene today, and that's Drew Gulak, and he's just been, like I said, under the radar for a little too long now, in my view, and... Um, I really think that uh, he is due to breakout. I think he's definitely a huge star in the making. And one thing that I feel like he's gotten his name out there recently with, which is great, was he recently had a WWE tryout. And within that tryout, the rumor has it, or, you know, the many people um, that have talked about his WWE tryout said he was the standout of the tryout. So that is, you know, that is great. And then obviously then, of course, you know, which comes with that nowadays is the rumors of being a part of NXT. Now, we do get into it in the interview. We do talk to him about it. We do ask him about it, and he does answer it appropriately. So, I mean, that's some good stuff right there. So, always with the guys that, you know, you get the tryouts, and, you know, they're quote unquote standouts, or they have, you know, just a great tryout, and their name is definitely out there, and WWE's noticing them, and everything else, you always get those NXT rumors, and when will they pop up on NXT? I mean, you've seen Johnny Gargano pop up on NXT, you've seen Tommaso Ciampa pop up on NXT, and of course now, a former partner and a former opponent of Drew Gulak, and that is Biff Busick, and you've seen him uh, pop up on NXT at some of the house shows, and obviously he's recently been signed, and then, of course, a former rival of Drew, and that is Rich Swan. so with Busick and and Swan getting signed, you always see, you know, who else is out there that's going to get signed, you know, of course, naturally, Drew's name came up along with those guys is possibly being signed. So uh, I would definitely, definitely look out for him to get signed pretty soon because uh, I think it's one of those sooner rather than later deals, especially after Biff and Rich Swan just got signed. And there's no doubt about it. He was a standout in those WWE tryouts, and there's no doubt about it. He's a standout on the independent scene today.
0: Yeah, sooner rather than later indeed, and hopefully some of the things that he says in this interview get picked up sooner rather than later because I think uh, something that should be known is that he really was a standout for that NXT tryout. And if these other guys are getting signed, then maybe he's not too far behind them. But why don't you tell me, before you throw it over to the interview, and before we come back for Brian Fury, tell me something that really stands out to you about Drew Gulak.
2: You know, one thing about Drew that stands out immediately to me is, is sometimes you you just look at a guy and like immediately you want to know where he was trained and who trained him and when. And and you kind of want to go into detail about that because that's always an interesting story. I mean, we've had guys on here with the craziest of stories of how they got into the business or, you know, their father was in the business or or whoever, you know, their uncle was in the business. So, I mean, it's always a unique tale. And I loved uh, hearing uh, Drew's story here because he was trained by, Two guys, you know, essentially at the Wrestle Factory. I mean, you had Chris Hero, who's one of the greatest wrestlers. On the scene today, he should have been, I mean, obviously, what's was time by WWE being get released, but he still should be with WWE or still should be in a major company today. Obviously, he's still with Pro Wrestling No One. He's wrestling with Evolve and stuff, but I think he should be on the main screen somewhere, you know, in the big times somewhere, because he's one of the best wrestlers in the world, without a, doubt, without a doubt about it. And then the other end of the spectrum, a long-time veteran, a great wrestler, someone who I've had uh, some training with, which is just unbelievable to say, and that's Mike Quackenbush. Over at the Wrestle Factory, so I mean it's just great, great stuff when you're talking about the trainers and who you've been trained by, and it's so cool to be able to be trained by Hero and Quackenbush, and we get you know stories of both because you hear how both of them are so different in their training. So I mean you hear that from Drew, and that that's just some cool stories and some fun stuff, and uh, I laughed at some of it because uh, recently I was at an Evolve show, and it was a uh, trainer. Versus student match, if you will, and it was Hero versus Drew, and we were talking about the match, and it was basically stole the show. I believe it was match of the night in uh, in the NYC. It was just an unbelievable match for Gabe over there in and Evolve. And Drew's uh, reaction to the match is pretty funny. He gets into great detail about how stiff Hero can be and stuff like that. So it's just pretty cool to, you know, go full circle and talk about not only his training, but wrestling Chris Hero as well. And then, of course, um, we get into the CZW stuff and how pretty much he's an anti-CZW kind of guy. And that was his gimmick for a while. And then, of course, we get into his gimmick, how he's a throwback. He almost reminds me of a Luthez type. That You know, no knee pads, no nothing. Just, you know, he's just a great worker and a great wrestler, no bullshit. Um, I really like him, I mean, he's a bit of a character as well, as far as, you know, he's almost like Luthez, you know, um, with a little bit of character, a little bit of, a, you know, pizzazz put to him. So, I really love this interview, and I really enjoyed it, and I really think that uh, someday, like I mentioned before, someday, sooner rather than later, we will see him on the main stage. And now, without any further ado, we send it along to a future star, a big time wrestler in the making, probably one of the greatest wrestlers on the scene today, there's no doubt about that, he's been great in Evolve, he's been great as he's a tag team champion in the championship wrestling from Hollywood, as well as a former CZW World Heavyweight Champion, he is no doubt about it, probably the next guy to be signed by the WWE and headed to NXT, he is Drew Gulak please enjoy
4: former c z w world champion and a guy who has been making his name around the news circuit as of late and that is drew gulak. we thank you so much for joining us on the two man power trip of wrestling
1: thanks for having me and thanks for pronouncing my name correctly
4: oh you're welcome hey it's uh it's not hard <laughs> to forget a name like yours when the the work that you put out is outstanding and on a complete another level uh-huh. so just I'll get the fanboy uh, part of it out of the way first but I got to <laughs> oh, say thanks, man. oh my pleasure I, my pleasure without a doubt so I got to say uh, you know your name has been swirling around the rumor mill lately and it wouldn't be you know the wrestling business it wouldn't be the internet wrestling community without rumors and the rumor is is that you may or may not have signed with the WWE to a developmental deal Uh we know you came off a stellar tryout that definitely made the rounds uh beginning of the summer but I mean, if we can ask you, frankly, you know, please let us know. But uh, have you signed on with WWE? Uh,
1: I am not allowed to speak on that issue. Uh, if if I was allowed to, I would be in great detail. But I can't really elaborate on any business with WWE, or if there has been any business with WWE.
4: That's that's perfectly fine. Just want to know because, like I said, you know, rumors fly. And uh ninety percent of it's usually uh, you know you know where you could file it, but uh, let's get into the tryout, and that actually, if you can talk about that, you know the tryout was uh, earlier in the summer, and it kind of made the rounds that you were a standout, and I think what we could say about the WWE NXT and WWE developmental is it's completely on another level right now. What are your thoughts on how they've evolved their developmental system into what it's become today, and everybody is talking about NXT
1: um, well, basically. Based on everything I've seen, it's uh, it's really amazing. You know, it's uh, it's cool. It's like they're pulling all their resources and talent and utilizing it to provide an environment for people to train in and become better. And, you know, that's that's already where the the top uh, professional wrestlers and people with minds for the wrestling business have gravitated towards, at least uh, traditionally, and for the most part, that's where they they hover around. So it's uh, it's an amazing amount of resources that they have pulled there. And uh it's nice to see them, you know, uh, broadcasting that.
4: Oh totally. And when we talk to guys who have been in the developmental system in the past, they marvel uh, you know, at the advancements that have been made and not only the resources that are made available, to talent, but then, you know, also the knowledge that's spread through trainers and, and mentors and things of that nature. And obviously, you know, fans got a glimpse of that with uh Tough Enough this past season, but You know, with you getting into the business when you did, you know, 10 years ago, uh, give or take, um, were you a wrestling fan at that point? And when you decided to train, you know, what was your absolute goal when you got into the business?
2: I was a
1: huge, huge fan uh, my whole life. You know, I I grew up watching it uh, ever since I was young. When it really started clicking was when I started attending combat zone wrestling shows live around 2001. And I was super young. I was like 14 at the time and my brother was 11, and we started watching the the shows live. I actually didn't even know independent wrestling existed because this was before YouTube was around, and the Internet wasn't really privy to video sharing as common as as it was. So if you were an independent wrestling fan, really you were getting your stuff through VHS tapes that were traded, um, ironically, through the Internet or through mail, and I didn't have access to any of that. I barely watched ECW because... I didn't even know, you know, what it was on TV half the time, or I wasn't around to check it out or up at that, at that time to, to watch it. So I got right into independent wrestling as UCW folded, and uh, combat some wrestling was, was my first live experience where I was within feet of a wrestling ring. And having watched it my whole life, you know, up to that point as a kid, um, this is something that seemed larger than life. And then when I was pretty much immersed into it, being right there next to it, I got to watch guys like the Briscoe brothers, the and the S.A.T.s, and Red. And uh, then you know the Combat Zone Wrestling stars who were known for their their crazy violence and high risk. On top of that, too, at the time, Combat Zone Wrestling had this environment uh, where the fans felt like they were part of the show, and it was it was their it was like their promotion. They felt like they had a hand in creating it. And yeah. when you get in an environment like that, it's just it's unbelievable. There's so much. Passion just swirling up in a room. and If it's in the right room, which at the time it was, this is the champs soccer arena at school. It was like a small little building, and then at that time they were moving over and becoming like a bigger thing. So there was a lot of like so much passion, just so much passion uh, among the fans. I think that, and I didn't even realize it at the time. For me, it was just like this kid who's checking out a wrestling show, and dude, it was it was just a life changing experience. So. When I had the opportunity to eventually transition into wrestling, I started on the ring crew just helping out because I wanted to help. Because I felt like, again, I was a fan and this is my promotion. I felt, like that's, I felt like I helped create it. So me and my brother would help take the ring down uh, back in like 2003 after deathmatch tournaments. Uh, that's how we kind of started making our way into the wrestling of this. we'd be on the ring crew. And then a year later, we started our actual training. I was 17 and he was 14. And uh, man, it was crazy. Uh, just you know, I was so young. That was pretty much my life, and it still still kind of is. And I still have that same that same passion for it, which is nice.
4: Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, and that ECW crowd, that kind of transitioned over into uh, you know being somewhat of a CZW crowd, and bringing that you know, and I'll use the term hardcore, but I mean in terms of the fan base as well that. Uh, you know they are passionate and they're very into the product right. and they kind of they want to get to know you. They don't just want to watch you. They want to know everything about you, everything that you've done. And I guess for you it must be even cooler that you started off as a fan watching the product and then evolved to where you did within that same promotion. But when you decided to train, was there any place uh, or was there anybody specifically that you knew you wanted to learn from exactly? And there was a style, or there was some kind of knowledge you wanted to gain off of anybody specific.
3: Um,
1: I don't know. I don't think so. I think it was just, CZW was such a strange place. We didn't have, like, that one wrestler who was, you know, known for being, like, the best trainer in the world or anything like that. Like, we had John Dahmer, who was known for, you know, being an incredible coach and a trainer down at the school, but it was, it was contained. It was like, if you're going to train with combat zone wrestling, you're training for combat zone wrestling. That was, that was just always the, the attitude down there. And when I did start training, um, I used to be in the ring with guys like Joker and Sabian a lot who uh, helped out on top of uh who would show up and like show us stuff and it was it was kind of disjointed um uh, the days that John Dahmer wasn't there. And uh occasionally those guys would train outside of combat zone And they would make their way up to Allentown and train with jakara Um and at that time they were, I don't know, three three years in just kinda a fledgling promotion. Mike Wagonbush Bush was uh, the head trainer there, along with Chris Hero, and then they bring Sky to, to teach seminars. So I'd go up and, and have a couple seminars with them. And, you know, and you, you see a guy, guys like that in the ring; they they do stand out, and uh, there's a reason for it, um, and it's because they're they're innovators and uh, groundbreakers. And uh, having seen them a few times at Combat Zone Wrestling and then at Shikara shows, like. Uh, it was, it was really important for me to go and make the most out of that opportunity to train with them. And then, lo and behold, six months later, they were uh, coming in and supplanting our school because the Ch- Chicara Russell Factory closed down, so it became the CZW Chikara Russell Factory. So I wound up training with my Quackenbush Chris Hero and uh, Skyda had a long stay. They were pretty much my head trainers for two years at that time, right when I was you know, learning the basics and getting my, my foot in the door.
4: Now is Mike Quackenbush the kind of guy that is very open to you picking his brain? Because you know you talk about that area of the country, that South Jersey, into Philly area. Mike Quackenbush basically uh, was the number one guy on the independent scene for much of the late '90s, and seems like he would be very approachable. Was he a guy that you could go to and ask questions about, you know, whether you're doing things right in the ring, or if you got a psychology question? Was he a guy that you'd seek out?
3: Yes.
1: Yes, he is he is absolutely that kind of a person and uh he teaches that to his students to to go out and uh you know, to learn from as many people as he can and uh he's very giving in that nature and so knowledgeable and he loves wrestling, so he'll love talking to you about it.
2: Yeah, I actually had a, a great experience with uh Mike um, not too long ago over at the Wrestle Factory. Great guy, great teacher and uh, I hope he's not retired. I hope um you know, to see him back in the ring uh, sometime soon. I know he's got a bum knee, but I hope to see him in the ring sometime soon.
1: Yeah, he's he's had some uh, pretty crazy injuries over the years that just took its toll on him. It's really sad seeing him backstage at shows, like, limping around in the cane. It's really depressing because I have fond memories of him kicking the crap out of me at practice <laughs> <laughs> for so long.
2: You know what's interesting about you, and then... First thing I noticed is is the style and the look. It's almost like a you know a throwback to like a Lute Fez or you know like a great old time wrestler, and it doesn't always seem to fit in with Combat Zone and CDW, you know the ultra violence and everything. But how did you adapt to that style? What made you want to do that style over you know the traditional maybe CDW style? Was it maybe an influence of Mike and uh, like a Chris Hero? Um,
1: maybe partially, I think. For me, it's just everything just kind of fell into that place. Like, when I started out, I was just an amateur wrestler coming out of high school, and that's was really for me other than, you know, I had, like, experience training all these different styles, so I would just be doing all these weird styles wearing my high school wrestling singlet and headgear. Uh, and then as, as time went on, like, I would just kind of try to change up my look and stuff to match my tag team partner at the time, um, and uh, it turned into, like, all right, so I'm going to get a nice chance to work on my own for a little bit now, now that I'm done with the tag team thing. So I, I went down to the trunks. It wasn't, and I had, I had knee pads and elbow pads and boots at the time. I was trying to be like a traditional wrestler, uh, just so that I could learn as a, as it went along. And then um, I wound up getting rid of the knee pads for two reasons. Um, number one, Eddie Kingston told me I should get rid of them because he said, oh, you look so old school, let did it. Um, but that, that was the real reason why it was because I never trained with them on like ever in my, in, like when I trained, I never really wore them just as as an amateur wrestler, you don't really need to. And, uh, it, it, you move faster without them. So I never, I never ever wore knee pads like in training. Like, uh, very rarely did I. Um, usually only when there was like a, a knee injury or some sort that I'd wear them. And even still, I do it that way. So I just stopped wearing them. Um, I don't mean, know. A lot of wrestlers I look up to, like, uh, Mark Rollerball Rocco and Steve Gray and, like, a lot of guys from the World of Sport era. And then, like, like you said, Lucez and the gold guys from that, from that era. Like, they, don't, they never really wore them. Um, I'm not trying to, like, market myself based on the fact that I don't have any pads, but it's just no. how it worked out.
2: It's <laughs> great, though, you know, because you definitely stand out. I mean, not just for that. I mean, obviously, the wrestling ability trumps that all, but... Thanks. You definitely stand out by not having the knee pad. I think it's a cool look and it's definitely different. But it's almost like the anti CDW gimmick, and I know you were kind of <laughs> going for that. We kind of had the anti CDW gimmick. Can you talk about that? I mean, did it did it create a lot more heat because those fans are you know tend to be a little bit more hardcore?
1: That was another thing too. It wasn't it wasn't
2: intentional. It just kind of fell into place.
1: Um, so. Let's see. At the time, like I was a former tag team champion, I was trying to be like a singles wrestler, and then I was being given opportunities to speak on the microphone and also do commentary. And uh, I would wind up just venting my concerns with uh, CCW as a whole, which I still do to this day, very adamantly, much to the chagrin of many people. Uh, so. It, it just turned out like, hey, let's stand up for the referees. Why are they? Why are people putting their hands on them? Because that destroys like a lot of what we do as uh, performers, and also, um, you know, it's dangerous. And that kind of stuff. And that turned into the fans seeing that as, all right, well, he's a wrestler. He doesn't really do deathmatch wrestling, and he's speaking out about these things that other people are doing. So therefore, he is anti-hardcore. Um, and what I was doing, I was more of an activist, speaking up on those issues, which you know, I thought were legit concerns and to so have made things better. And uh promos were like I was giving speeches and stuff like that and I realized that an election was coming up very shortly, uh two thousand eight I believe. And uh I just kinda switched it foot the switch and turned in the whole campaign thing. So I was heading the shows where I'd stick banners up and flyers up beforehand campaigning for a better combat. So that's <laughs> kind of where that led to me, and yeah, it definitely stood out because there was nothing like it at all in, in wrestling. I mean, they were political figures, but nobody ever taken that route of a pundit, you know. And uh, it was it was fun to play that that role. I still carry that with me very much, and I can always you know go back to that.
2: We were talking. You mean you mentioned just for briefly there about death matches, and I definitely wanted to bring that up what are your thoughts on death messages? I know you've been in you know, in a, in a few, but not many. What are your thoughts on getting that violent when you're such a natural, pure, great wrestler?
1: Um, well, as anyone who's been in wrestling for a long time can tell you, uh, typically a wrestling ring is made up of metal and wood and a very thin layer of padding with a canvas slapped on top of it. So we have to train very hard to learn how to fall. Um, to you know, prevent long term injuries. And all it takes is one slip and you you will wind up with one of those. Uh so, you know, we have rigorous training and stuff like that. And when you add other elements like weapons and you know uh glass and barbed wire and all these other crazy theatrical looking things on top of it it heightens the drama, mostly for the fan base. But I'll tell you the level of danger is only increased slightly uh it's usually for visual purposes but um it's it's still very dangerous you know as you know uh and there is a mental challenge and a hurdle to get over it just, just as if you know there's a mental challenge and a hurdle of learning how to throw yourself down onto a surface it's, it's very similar and uh but it's just so much so much, so many hormonal things playing into that when you bring bring in elements that uh, look super threatening like uh, like a cage of death, for example. So it's just it heightens the drama. It really does heighten the drama, and for all the primal reasons that it should. And
2: we're we're getting talking about death matches, and I know you had a barbed wire match against the CCW favorite Danny Havoc. What are your memories mm-hmm. of being in a barbed wire match? Doesn't I mean that that's something uh, you know very very different, very familiar with uh, CCW, <laughs> but very different. You know, for a wrestler like yourself.
1: Uh, I think my biggest memory was that there was a whole uh ten year old girls' soccer team sitting in the audience. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. <laughs> no, it was crazy. It was it was it was fun because uh, I don't know, I I had I had I had a chance to be in like a real serious program with anybody for a while and like at that time I was in a program with Nick Gage, who was the top like, babyface in combat zone wrestling. So it was a big opportunity for me. And then uh, he went away to prison for five years. So I had a chance to kind of take that, what I was doing with that, and turn that into uh, a feud with Danny Havoc. And he got to, you know, he, he started training at the same time I did. debuted only a month after me. So we took very different paths as far as our in-ring style and opponents and uh, accomplishments. But we were able to meet up later on in our careers, I don't know, six, six years in, and have that kind of a, of a match, which is legendary to Combat Zone Wrestling. Uh, actually, it's one of my favorite matches of all time with Lobo versus Van and a no-rope barbed wire match from Deja Vu. If you go back and look that one up, it's, it's incredible.
2: And you mentioned Nick Gates. I wanted to ask you because I'm, I know that you, you know, it's not funny that he was in jail, but it was funny the way you, you, know, you were heel and you spun it And, you know, you ripped the fans, and you ripped him, saying he's in jail, typical CCW guy, and, you know, basically you're, uh, like we talked about before, you're the anti-CCW guy. So what are your thoughts on Nick Gage? Because he's actually back in prison again.
1: Yeah, I don't really know what his status is right now. I don't think it's been made official. I think he's still waiting on a hearing or results and stuff like that. But um, I'll say that Nick Gage is uh, probably the most easily recognizable guy uh, when he's in front of a crowd that, that has seen him before and then as he gets to pr- perform in front of a crowd for a longer amount of time, he stands out more than just about anyone else because of the intensity and the the believability he brings. And so his uh, reputation is very well earned. Uh, so him, you know, getting stuck in these personal situations where he has to go for away, away for a while is a shame for, you know, a company like Combat Zone Wrestling where he is pretty much the focal point of at the time when he's performing in it. that just It just sucks for the fans that they don't get to see him. And then uh, it's, it's a real back step for us as a company when something like that happens. So it's a shame that, you know, he had those opportunities. And it kind of turned out the way it did.
2: Yeah, definitely. And his fan base is so passionate. I mean, even if you look on, like, a Facebook or on any other social media, you know, you'll see free Nick Gage, and, we, you know, we've got to get him out. So, I mean, his fans not only, you know, are very vocal, they're, they're super passionate about him. And I really like the dynamic of your feud because it's almost like a complete opposite. You know, he's a crazy brawler and you're a very good technical wrestler. Very uh, very interesting, very different. Did you like having, you know, a feud with somebody so much different than you?
1: Yeah, I just, I, honestly, I just like wrestling. So anytime I get the chance to go out there with someone who's uh, who's working... I don't know a, a different style than I do. That's that's a challenge for me, and it, it's, it's more fun, I think, for for myself as a performer. Um, and even no, that's not true. Even even if it's someone who's known as a technical wrestler, or whatever kind of style, uh, I I just like it. I like it all. I like all of it. So um, I also like trying to stay versatile in that way.
2: Now, recent rumors we were talking about you about going to WWE, and obviously those rumors are out there. Are circulating, but Biff Busick, uh, a friend of yours, a great uh, opponent of yours, actually, uh, is rumored to be on his way to WWE as well. What are your thoughts on him and and, re- and wrestling him? Because you guys seem to be very physical and uh, have a lot of great, stiff matches against one another.
1: <laughs> uh, we have very, very good chemistry with one another. Um, I met him beyond wrestling uh, right when he made his return to New England after training in Texas with Funaki for a while. And prior to that, he was training with Storm in Canada. Uh, so he kind of did a little loop for his career. And that's that's around the time that everything started clicking for him. Was when he got in there with with me. Uh, we were able to start gelling, and, and for me too, that was a big step for me because um, our matches uh, were were different than everyone else. And he was very open minded doing that kind of stuff. Um, so <laughs> I just love kicking the crap out of him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> another guy, uh, I wouldn't say he's, he's, a, he's stiff. I'd say he's more of a great high flyer. But he's also rumored to be going to the WWE. As these, uh, you know, they they continue to make the indie signing and that's uh, Rich Swan. He seems to be another guy you have great chemistry with. What are your thoughts on uh, wrestling, Rich? Uh,
1: Richie is like a little brother to me in wrestling. Um, he he trained a little bit in Maryland. And then out in York, Pennsylvania, he trained for a while with Adam Flash, who is a CZW alumni, and also one of my mentors. And then he came and trained with us at the CZW Wrestling Academy uh, for a good while before moving out to Jersey and stuff like that, and then going on a drag Gate, going to Japan and really... um, I don't know. Richie. Richie's so, so, so talented. He's so talented. He can have a good match with anybody. Um, and he's very entertaining. Um, so... <laughs> yeah, I, just, I like wrestling.
2: It's funny, with WWE recently, I mean, with the rumor of you, the rumor of Biff, and the rumor of a Swan going to WWE, it's like, wow, they're taking all this good indie talent. And then you look a couple of years ago, they got a guy that was wrestling uh, a little bit in, in Evolve, mostly C D. W and um, all around Cincinnati, of course, and that is John Moxley, a.k.a. Dean Ambrose. What were your thoughts on him when he was in CZW, and did you feel that uh, he was WWE bound and, you know, going to be one of the top stars?
1: Yeah, I think when he hit CZW, everyone kind of could see that eventually happening. Um, nobody knew when or what was going on behind the scenes or anything. I don't think even he really knew, but he definitely stood out uh, boatloads ahead of everyone else. Yeah, I mean, he was... He wasn't there very long before he won the CZW World World Title and uh, became the champion. He was on overseas tours, going to Germany and stuff like that, representing Combat Zone Wrestling. Like, uh, not many people really do that, you know, where they come in after having a long career somewhere else uh, and then just work their way up very fast. And uh, he basically exploded, you know, at that time. So it was uh, it was great seeing all that all his success.
2: Yeah, I mean, and now he's uh, obviously he's one of the top stars. He's in the top program. You, you know, usually every week, you know, you see him in a top program on Raw or SmackDown or whatever, and he's may have entered a bunch of pay-per-views. But one guy who I feel that hasn't been on WWE radar yet, that you had a couple of good matches with, or actually more than a couple, but he probably should be. He's another great flyer, and that's A.R. Fox. I feel like he's perhaps a little underrated. But what are your feelings on him? Because I know you guys had some classics.
1: Uh, I feel like Ar Fox is indestructible. (laughs) He's he's almost like a real life video game character. Uh, He's so so so. He's a freak of nature. He's so athletic. He's so athletic. He's a freak. Um, And I think in the last year or so, he's really he's really found himself uh, as far as being able to connect to an audience on a on a level of emotion. And uh, I think he's he's on the verge of doing some big things too. It's just gonna Take the right opportunity for him to uh, get out to that you know that, that next level and that hump and, and stay stay in that 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 level and I think he will I think he will too because he I don't think he wants to go away anytime soon.
2: Now back to you and you you won the uh, CDW world title and you beat Masada. What was it like when they were basically giving you the you know the mantle the trophy the the top prize in CDW? and saying you're winning the title and not only that, you're beating tough guy Masada for it. What were your you know, what were your feelings that day when you were gonna win the world title?
1: Uh, it was surreal. You know, Masada had a, a long reign. He was champion for over a year and a half. Um so he's that that next person to kinda of carry that ball. Um, I knew I wanted I knew exactly like what I wanted it to become and what kind of matches I needed to have and the uh it really, it really gave me a big opportunity to get my name out there more and travel more. Like I, I as a in Florida, uh, for FIP, which led to other bigger opportunities. I was able to take the title with me to California during the wrestling Garrett association tournament and, uh, show it to fans. Like, I think that was the coolest thing for me was being able to carry the title with me to places I had never been before or that maybe people hadn't really gotten to see anything like that up close. And I, I'd bring the title with me and I'd have it at the Mercer's table during intermission. And uh people would come over and talk to me and get to look at the belt to hold it and ask me about it. And uh it was really cool that that's, <laughs> that title has a, a lot of heritage behind it. Um, the embodiment of Combat Zone Wrestling. Like, it was it was a neat feeling being a kid in the crowd, you know, watching the guy defend the defend that belt and then uh defend that title and that championship and then get to be that person, you know, ten years later really cool
2: yeah it's got to be an amazing feeling i mean that's pretty damn cool you'd be in the crowd and then all of a sudden you're the guy in the ring and you know that, that's pretty awesome but you mentioned uh going to california and i know uh you are a former championship wrestling from hollywood tag team champion with another guy who has a very similar style to you that's another great wrestler uh, current Evolve world champion that's timothy thatcher what are your thoughts about your uh, chemistry with him either teaming with him or even uh him as an opponent
1: uh, it was funny when I met Tim, um, I met him at that wrestling Careers association tournament, uh, race for the ring that was going on in 2013. And like the first time I saw, him, I was like, great. You found a guy who's in better shape than me. Wrestles just like me and wrestles better than me. Thanks guys. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, so Tim, uh, I don't know. He's, he's got a weird, he's got a weird backstory and very private backstory. He's a private guy, but, uh, soon as i met him like we couldn't stop talking to each other about like this kind of wrestling or that kind of wrestling we both have a, a very big passion for it and um he came and stayed out a month with me maybe 2014 like six months after that and um he was just being given all these different opportunities at that time he took advantage of it people saw the potential he had and uh now he's he's finally like doing it he's out there doing it you know people are getting to see him, which is awesome for me because I got to see him when, when not many people really, really, really do him, you know, and uh, now people are starting to really go on that. For me, that's, like, a great feeling because I get to uh, see my buddy be successful. <laughs>
2: Now there's another British sensation out there, Zack Saber Jr., who I knew you wrestled before, and he seems to be one of those guys that's on the cusp of being maybe uh, you know the next Nigel McGuinness or maybe the next Brian Daniels in a sense. But what are your thoughts on Zack Saber Jr.? Because I know you guys had some good matches as well.
1: I mean, as nice as it is to call him the next Nigel or the next Brian, I uh, I think it's better calling him the first Zack. Uh, he he doesn't wrestle. Exactly like those guys he has his very he has a very unique style and he's so exciting um, so I don't know just seeing him come up and, and get around and travel and have exciting matches with pretty much anybody he, can, he has to he's, he's very much like Richie in a sense that he has good matches with everybody um, he's he's kind of and it's crazy the amount of effort he's put into his career like he gone and moved over to Japan. And just, just for the training, really, is, is, is why he, he moved there. And, uh, of course, getting to perform over there and work up the ranks, which is not easy to do as as a, a foreigner. Um, and then take that back and, and really, you know, inject some life into the scene in, in England. Um, everything's kind of just falling into place there, too. You know, with the amount of events that go on and the uh, the amount of guys that have has taken advantage of those opportunities. You know, it's uh, really cool. There's a big uh, a big boom over in England for pro wrestlers. So, nice to see people like Zach, you know, um, leading the way as far as the publicity that they're getting and the, uh, the opportunities that they're going to
2: get. Definitely. I mean, and then you got got uh, Marty Scroll over there. I mean, there's a couple of guys, uh, British wrestlers that are really good. But if I could, I actually forgot to mention this earlier. I don't know how I forgot to mention this to you, but the 15th, anniversary show of uh C Z W you had quite a match against another guy that could widely be considered one of the greatest wrestlers in the world today. Obviously uh former IWA GP champion two times over and he obviously been had an amazing career but what do you think about working with AJ Styles?
1: Uh it was it was awesome. It was awesome. He's he's on a whole different tier uh when it comes to doing what we do. Just exudes excellence. Um so for me that was it was a great opportunity and uh, a lot of fun.
2: And one thing I really wanted to bring up to you when uh, I knew we were having you on is a couple months ago at uh, New York City for Evolve, I was there and you wrestled Chris Hero. And going in, I'm like, I wonder, you know, I was like, it kind of was like, this could be a match tonight, but that might be Galloway against uh, Roddy in a cage. And after it was over, me and my brother were like, nah, he hero versus tool act and that was that was the, the, <laughs> the match of the knife, definitely. So what were your thoughts that night? Because you guys tore the house down. That was a vicious, vicious brawl and you guys, you know, were stiffing the hell out of each other that night.
1: Uh, my thoughts on that were basically my neck was really sore afterwards, just dropped me right <laughs> on my head with a pile driver. <laughs> That's basically how I felt. <laughs> That's still how I feel about that match. Uh, so I'm still kind of waiting on a, on a chance to get back at him a little bit.
2: Yeah, that Tombstone power driver did seem kind of stiff.
1: It sucked. It sucked so bad. Um, I don't know. It's it's crazy. Like like Mike, Chris, is, Chris was one of my trainers. Like Mike would teach two days out of the week. Chris would teach the other two days out of the week. And uh, I think most of Chris's days I'd come back to my dorm room black and blue. So... Uh while I learned so much cool stuff from him, and, uh, you know, I, I still learned so much cool stuff from him, he, uh, <laughs> he definitely beat the hell out of us, too. <laughs> so anytime now, I get being, to go in there and give, give him some back, it's like a little, yeah, I got him.
2: Gotcha, yeah. Now, being a, a trainer yourself now, I mean, because obviously you assist at the, at the CZW, uh, at the dojo over there. Do you prefer more of the hero style, or do you prefer more of the Mike Quackbush style of training?
1: I didn't prefer one to the other. I I like training with both of them very much. Um, like it, they, they were they were such good uh, teachers that I got to learn from. So I don't know when um when I teach my own guys like I'm I'm the program coordinator down there uh, as well as the head trainer at the CZW Wrestling Academy. Like uh I I I want to focus it just on them, um, and it's stuff that, uh, not, that, not that I necessarily learned from either of my trainers, uh, like, of course, like, the technique and the skill and the etiquette, like, I learned all of that from them, and uh, I do pass that down, and also techniques on how to talk to students and trainees and really just human beings in general and carry yourself. That, that kind of stuff I picked up from them, too, uh, but I also had a really good wrestling coach in high school. Um, I spent many years teaching swimming to men, women, and children of all ages, and people with disabilities, from being blind to autism spectrum disorders. And, uh, just, you know, I I spent a lot of time honing my craft there, doing that. And then I worked with kids uh, at a at, at a summer camp program. I did that for a long, long time. I was a child development specialist on top of that. And then I have a degree in behavioral science. Really, like, I I enjoy helping people and teaching them. And uh, I spent a lot of time working on that. And uh, if it wasn't for having guys like Chris and Mike, uh, I probably wouldn't have had the opportunities to go the places I did to make certain connections and uh, exploit them to a benefit in just a positive, you
2: know, a nice way. And not too long ago we had on Brian Cage, and, of course, we had to mention... What he thought about pwg over there in california and basically you know he spoke about it glowingly and obviously the battle of los angeles you were a part of and that just seems to be a promotion that's on fire lately and they've been bringing in great talents from all around the world and obviously you were one of them what are your thoughts on pwg
1: um well like you said uh they're they're the hottest thing right now uh that's that they're the hottest thing right now um it's, it's purely by reputation and that reputation comes from the environment that they have created and I think that the fan base uh, that's their promotion, they feel like that they own a part of that, very similar to the combat zone wrestling that I watched when I first got into independent wrestling. I wouldn't be surprised to see some future pro wrestlers come out of that audience um, You know, however long that takes you know, I think Willie Mack was one of them who came out of that crowd. Uh, but Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, right now with the reputation it has, to be uh, allowed to perform in front of that crowd is an honor for anybody. And I don't think any of the guys who have gone to do that would argue with me about that.
2: Do you think that? Um, well, not really. Do you think? But I mean, I know that there was a bunch of celebrities and a bunch of WWE guys in there watching them, so I know that they're, they're, they, you know, that they have an eye on them, but. Is there anybody when you were there that you saw in the crowd? Because I I mean we were talking to somebody about this and we so we saw Sophia Vergara, um, I guess it was her boyfriend, or whoever her fiance was there. Uh, William Regal was there, Jushin Thunder Liger was there, Incognito, Seth Rollins. Was there anybody you saw in P W G that you were like, Wow, they're at P W G you know, they they're definitely scouting us.
1: <laughs> I got to uh, I got to meet Clark Duke. That was cool. <laughs> He's the uh comedian who was on the office and uh hot tub time oh, machine. Yeah. A number of Judd Apatow movies, and stuff like that, uh, Kick Ass as well. Um, so you know, just seeing someone I recognize from another form of entertainment was really cool, and uh, it's it's nice knowing that there's other wrestling fans out there. <laughs> I think that's kind of neat.
2: It, when I saw that uh, Liger was there incognito and nobody knew it was him because he didn't have the mask on, I was like,
0: I was like, okay, now
2: you know, now you know, PWG's made it. I mean, this guy's. Uh, taking off his mask and he's hiding out in a crowd watching you guys pretty funny yeah I think
1: pretty the last amazing. time I was there uh, Rey Mysterio was there along with Conan oh, wow. and uh, yeah that was that was crazy because <laughs> you know they're two guys who have innovated so much and contributed so much to pro wrestling um, they've they've had an impact on my career for sure just, just from watching them so uh, getting to see them in the audience you know watching me it's like a surreal feeling
2: that's pretty crazy. Now, if I can, we haven't really done this before, but I love it when I you know see uh, see it on, like the TV shows, like uh, football shows, and it's almost like a quick hit. It's almost like you mention somebody's name, and it's just the first thing that comes through mind. Maybe like a one liner, ah, a little the, word, uh, little little word
1: association here. Huh?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, let's start right. with um, Davey Richards, a f- former opponent of yours, Machine. What about Chris Hero? Uh, painful. <laughs> Chuck Taylor.
1: Uh, sarcastic asshole. <laughs> but I love him.
2: TJ Perkins. Uh, wizard. Tommaso Champa. Crazy man. The green ant, a.k.a. the silver ant.
1: Uh, awesome opponent,
2: AJ Styles. Excellent, Nick Ethan Gage.
1: Uh, in prison,
2: is <laughs> that <Zach> Saber <laughs> Junior? Uh, exciting, and I'll throw you a curveball on this last one here. This guy's somewhat of a of a legend in CDW thing, but uh, John Zandich. The boss. Nice. All right, that was the first time we did that. That was pretty good. You were pretty quick. I like that.
3: Thanks. You put
1: me on the spot, so <laughs> I, was, I was trying to be careful at the same time.
2: Yep. Now, uh, as we start to wind it down here, one thing very curious with you because I mean, if you go back and you may like make like a highlight tape or make like a best of DVD, you're going to have a ton of these. But, do you have a favorite match or matches that you've had in your career?
1: No, I don't. I don't have one favorite match or match that I've had. Uh, but when people ask me that question, I always go back and say the day that my brother debuted. So that was 2008 at CW Summer School in the arena. And Rory uh, was known when he was a wrestling fan as being this super wrestling fan who dressed up as Sick Nick Mondo in the crowd. And uh, we weren't sure if he was ever going to get to wrestle because he, at the time, was thinking about joining the Marines. So we kind of hot shotted his debut and threw him out there in his like, Mondo cosplay attire, and uh, as a surprise, he got to wrestle me as the opener of that show. And when he came out, the audience all stood up on their feet and like went nuts because they knew that we were brothers, and um, they knew him from when he was, you know, just a fan in the crowd. <laughs> Looking back on that, I'd say that was probably my favorite.
2: That was pretty cool, pretty amazing. It's almost like uh, years ago when Eli Manning won the Super Bowl and you watch Peyton Manning and his reaction to Eli winning it was more excited than when he actually won the Super Bowl. So kind of cool stuff when you see uh, your brother uh, doing something yeah, cool picture, and doing something f- you picture love. Those
1: guys, picture those guys getting to play against each other in that scenario. That's kind of
2: how it was for me. Yep. It's awesome, yeah. Now, you've had so many good opponents. Do you have a favorite opponent, a guy that you just gel with and click with the most?
1: Um, I, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know, I love uh I just like I said like I love wrestling um last couple of years, time I've gotten to be in there with uh music or Tim Thatcher or Tracy Williams or like anybody like that, it's been great Chris hero of course i've I've always had a great time learning from you know the beatings he's given me <laughs> um, i I got to wrestle Mike Quackenbush one on one right before he he stepped out that was a lot of fun. It's 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 weird man, like I always think that there'd be one guy but there isn't.
2: Too many to name, Cole man.
1: Cabana. I could yeah, a good could match with Cole Cabana. I had a really good one with Davy Richards not too long ago, it was a lot of fun. I uh, remember my brother. Anytime I get to beat my brother up, it's the
3: best.
2: <laughs> good old Rory, yeah. Is there a possible like a match that you haven't been able to have yet, like a quote unquote dream match that you always wanted to have and hope to have in the future?
1: Uh, aside from, like, the crazy, like, crazy ones, like, uh, I'd want to wrestle, like, Kobashi or something like that, um, mm-hmm. I get to have a singles match with Eddie Edwards coming up. I've never wrestled Eddie Edwards one-on-one. I've only been in the ring with him in a tag match uh, once before. Yeah, I'm going to get to have a singles match with him for Beyond Wrestling on the 26th. which will be in a week, so I'm really excited for that.
2: Nice. And, do you have any specific goals that you want to accomplish? You know, not really, I wouldn't say, um, in the future, I mean like immediate goals, like is WB in your immediate future?
1: See, the thing, the thing there is like, I can't just say like, Oh, that's, that's something I'm going to go do like tomorrow. Um, there's so many moving parts to that kind of a thing somewhere. I would definitely like to wind up and, uh, I will do my damnedest to try to achieve that. Um, so I've, other than that, I've never really had any specific goals other than like, hey, maybe I want to try something new out or travel some places. or maybe put a little size on. That's not so easy for me. <laughs> hmm.
4: So what would you say in five years, if you could just shake the magic eight ball, what is something that you would like uh, to accomplish within that time in your career?
1: Um, going to be a multimillionaire. <laughs> living on living on an island and wrestling as frequently as I please. I could shake the magic eight <laughs> ball.
4: That's awesome. I would hope it would be called Wrestling Island because that would be a hell of a tourist destination.
1: <laughs> you ever play that game, Lego Island? No. Oh, yeah. No? That's like a crappy PC game they made a while ago, but uh, I don't know. It's reminding me of that. Anyway. <laughs> well, that's
4: pretty cool, but... Let's share something else that's very cool on, on the way out here, and that is where exactly we can find everything for you on social media, any match you have coming up. Please plug away and tell us where we can find you, Drew.
1: Uh, easiest place to find out where I'm going to be is to check out my website. That's drewgulak.com. That's D-R-E-W-G-U-L-A-K.com. Um, I got my schedule on there. A few matches. and You can buy my t-shirts up on Pro Wrestling T's website as well. Uh, and then, you know, follow me on Twitter at Drew Gulak, D-R-E-W-G-U-L-A-K. It rhymes with attack.
4: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Drew. This has been uh, been a lot of fun. Very,
0: uh, very informative. Yeah, thanks for having me. I like it. Keep your eyes on Drew Gulak and let's see where the next few months really have him ending up in his uh professional wrestling career but now we're going to turn it over to like I said at the start an interview that we conducted with Brian Fury earlier this year it's a great interview and uh the great is definitely uh, emphasized because you got to learn from him you know you got to really take what he says and you think about him and the places he's been and the things that he's done and the people he's trained uh, up at the chaotic wrestling center in the new england Uh, Pro Wrestling Training Academy, you know, you think about what he's accomplished and taking that place over from the legendary uh, management of Killer Kowalski, and, uh, you know, Brian Fury is one of those guys that, you know, if you can learn from him while you're under his tutelage, then you just made yourself a little bit better, and of course, if you get to work with him on a show, you know, you better pull up the chair and you're about to go to school because he is a true, true, true veteran of the professional wrestling industry and he's a great guy and we really enjoyed talking to him but john before we throw it over to the interview tell him a little bit more about bombas hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and i'll send them on their merry way
2: that's right chatty boy bombas is back baby the greatest sock in the history of socks is back remember their mission it is to help the homeless so remember every time you buy a pair of Bombas socks one pair does get donated to the homeless it is the number one requested item down at the homeless shelter so not only are you getting the greatest sock in the history of socks you're also helping so remember the mission folks and that is bomba's be better now when you want to make that Bombas purchase, go to our website, tmptfwrestling.com. That is tmptfwrestling.com. And on the upper left-hand corner, you will see the Bombas link. And please do all your Bombas shopping through us. Now, for some other TMPT business, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at WrestlingPal and at Two Man Power Trip. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube. We always put up great clips. Of all of our episodes. So check us out there. Also subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Also while you're there. Check out the feed. For past great episodes. With the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes. Good old J.R. Jim Ross. WB's Kane, WB's Dean Ambrose, Sgt. Slaughter, Mr. Wonderful Paul Ondorf, Tully Blanchard, Stan, the Larry Hansen, and so many others. So please check us out on iTunes. Also, check us out on the I-95 Sports Network. That's right, you can go to the website, I-95 Sports Network, or you can actually just Google it up and check us out there. We are live and in color every week on there, so please check us out. Again, that is the I 95 Sports Network. And for any of those interested in booking Kevin Thorne, AKA Mordecai, AKA Kevin Fertig, please email bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. That is bookings at tmptofwrestling.com.
0: And don't forget to check us out with some of our best of episodes also on Top Rope Press. .com. We are now part of the Top Rope Press Radio Network. And with that being said, we throw it over to this second part, the main event of this show, and that is the great Brian Fury. your name up very positively,
4: and we had to come and find you, which we are so happy that you're on, so we can uh, kind of pick your brain a little bit. But if you could tell us, um, when did you take over the New England Pro Wrestling Academy, and how has it been going since you, uh, you started running it? Uh, well, I took over what was formerly known as
3: the Chaotic Training Center slash Killer Kowalski School of Professional Wrestling in July of oh, jeez, what was it, two thousand and eleven? I think it was, yeah, two thousand eleven. Um, I was one of the trainers there at the point at that point in time. There were three. Different nights the school was open, and there were three separate trainers, one for each night, and I did Thursday night, Uh, the other one being Brian Malonis, and the other trainer being uh, Hanson, Warbeard Hanson. And so we were the three trainers on each individual night. And then Chaotic was actually going to close the place, um, and they came to me and asked me if I was be interested in purchasing it and running it and stuff, and I totally jumped at the opportunity. It was a way for me to... Uh, Continue doing what I was doing at the time because I absolutely love training. I, I really enjoy kind of sharing what whatever little knowledge I may or may not have of this crazy business and <laughs> passing it on to the next next generation. Um, so I took it over and then I renamed it because um, I'm not affiliated with like the chaotic wrestling organization other than just being like a part of you know I'm a contracted wrestler there, um, well independently contracted wrestler there. And so I renamed it New England Pro Wrestling Academy. Um, I just kind of started advertising a little bit more than they had been and kind of running things all on my own. And so far, so good. Everything has been running awesomely since I took it over. I'm you know, very excited, very happy about it. It's kind of a big undertaking, considering I never really run my own business before. But uh, it's been, you, you learn a lot along the way, but it's been awesome.
2: Now, on our show, we've had on Warbeard Hanson, we've had on Tommaso Champa, and we had on Donovan Dijak, and each mm-hmm. one of those guys has mentioned you and mentioned you quite glowingly. Can you talk about those guys and basically mentoring them?
3: Uh, sure. Well, I, I, wouldn't, I didn't really um, necessarily mentor uh, Tommaso and, and Warbeard. Uh, Warbeard and I kind of ran very similar paths here in New England um, just under different banners when he was coming up uh, underneath like Mike Hollow and whatnot, I was coming up underneath Steve Bradley, and we both kind of ran uh, head-to-head uh, for opposite promotions a lot of times uh, where with our pads somewhat crossing a little bit here and there until finally uh, when Steve Bradley closed up shop, I obviously wanted to continue training as much as possible uh, in the ring, even though I'd already been wrestling for like, six-plus years at the time, you know, I ended up starting to come down to the Chaotic Training Center instead of working for Chaotic Wrestling. And that's when him and I really started to, um, you know, get a really close bond and friendship and whatnot, as well as a nice competitive spirit that we have with one another, always trying to one-up each other uh, on shows and whatnot. Um, Tommaso is a guy that started uh, a while after me, and when I first came to the Caddo Training Center, he was still pretty new. I think he'd only been wrestling for like a year and a half or two years at the time. And he was very well established already and, and really ahead of his time as far as having only been wrestling for like two plus years at the time. Um, and I don't know if I necessarily mentored him, but I know I, I worked with him a couple times, a couple random places, and uh, at that time shared what knowledge I may have had, um, being, I was, I guess the veteran, even though it was only like six, seven years in the business at that, that point in time. Um, and then I kind of trained alongside him for a while there at the Canuck training center and helped him grow. And, you know, I learned some little things from him here and there. Um, he's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy for both of those guys. Uh, big success. And then Donovan Dijack Uh, I guess, yes, he would be the one guy out of those three that I am definitely uh, the mentor to. He is 100% uh, my student at the New England Pro Wrestling Academy. Uh, He started after I took it all over, so he's just been training underneath me since the beginning. Um, And even then, like, I don't know, I'm weird. I don't like to take a lot of credit for certain things, but uh, he's got a great head on his shoulders. You know, the guy's 6'5", and 70 pounds and he's unbelievably athletic Uh, I think a lot of people that had stuff like that to work with would be able to mold him into somewhat close to what he is now but I like to think I really helped as far as psychology and whatnot whatnot goes into making him you know the monster and the phenom he's become in the independent scene so far in professional wrestling in a short career
2: yeah definitely he's uh, got quite a name for himself right now in Ring of Honor and, you know, throughout the indie scene. Now, you mentioned Steve Bradley. Can you talk about your training under him?
3: Sure. Um, I had already been training for, like, three years or so in the New England area um, underneath a guy by the name of, like, Jeff Costa and Maverick Wild and stuff. Um, kind of like a small-time type thing in, in New England, not really... Super well known outside of their little area, um, and I feel like I had made it to the highest level that I could make it to with them. Uh, Steve Bradley had just been released by WWE. He was in a, in a developmental system for for like ever, it felt like. And uh, when he came home to New Hampshire, uh, he started his own promotion and his own school. And I figured, you know, what better guy to learn from than a guy that had just been there for so long and, you know, working underneath guys like Jim Cornette and Dr. Tom Pritchard and stuff, like pretty much right hand men with them in their in the O V W and Heartland Wrestling Association and whatnot. I figured that's the guy to go see. Um so I started training there under him and he was uh very intense and intimidating person uh, until you got to know him Then he kind of softened up a little bit but Steve was easily the most knowledgeable person as far as professional wrestling I've ever met uh, in my entire life so far and I've met quite a few people but the way he, he was able to break things down and explain things to me not only did it really enlighten me but he was able to do it in a way that just made so much sense that you know, I was able to learn so much from him, uh, as well as him totally killing me cardio wise, and you know, making sure I was able to withstand the uh, punishment in the ring. He was, you know, a super knowledgeable guy too. He was, he was awesome. Were you always a wrestling fan, uh, like growing up? Yeah, I mean, ever since I was like the little kid, I I, I remember always being a wrestling fan, and it's one of those things where. Since I was a little kid, there was never anything that I wanted to be other than a professional wrestler. Uh, I know a lot of my friends, a lot of people in this business kind of had other ideas or different things, and they ended up kind of coming back to professional wrestling. But for me, it was never anything other than wanting to be a professional wrestler. I mean, I've been watching. I vividly remember watching WrestleMania three when it happened uh You know, and so I, I was been watching for what are we at 31? So like 27, 28 years now or something like that. I've been watching professional wrestling. It's it's pretty crazy when I think about it that way. Like it's, like a lot of my life, <laughs> but a good part. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a very very good part. Yes, and it's, it's been the best. Like I I I still love it to this day. It's it's weird. Like I don't know. There's so many like. Things that I've liked and then gone sour on and whatever else, but pro wrestling for some reason has always just always been there. I've always loved it.
4: Yeah, you know, and talking about uh, Steve Bradley, um, you know, I'm not sure if if everybody remembers uh, Steve Bradley, but like you had mentioned, he was under the WWE developmental contract for what seemed like forever, and whenever you were reading results from a show, you seemed like you saw Steve Bradley's name, or you were reading something about developmental, you read Steve Bradley's name. <laughs> what did he teach you about maybe that little bit of frustration of chasing your dream, that he was there, but he kept on getting kind of pushed back? Like, What did he teach you about you know basically controlling your destiny when you get to that point of being signed?
3: Uh, the big thing for him,
4: and like I A lot of people on the
3: independent level think that they're owed something just because they've been around for a certain period of time or because they've done certain things. And Steve was always able to keep his crew in check as far as, like, never getting a big head or thinking that you're owed something just because you've been doing something for so long. Um, You know, he made it known that, like, the professional wrestling business is—it's funny. Uh, it doesn't necessarily matter if you're the best person for the job at the time. It's if they're just looking for something, in specific at that point in time. So, uh, it's more to not like get down in yourself and to not have like an ego as far as thinking you're owed something or thinking anything. Because if this business ever owed anybody something, I mean, it was it was him. He was like you said. He saw his name all the time. He was the, you know, can't-miss prospect. He was this, he was that. He was whatever else. And he was supposed to have been called up to TV numerous different times and for whatever reason things just didn't work or got changed and plans, you know, whatever. Um, So he was, you know, big on keeping your head straight and always being ready at any moment in time. For any opportunity that may possibly come your way, you don't want to necessarily miss that or mess it up if they were to just come
4: calling out of nowhere. Yeah, that's uh, that's fantastic advice because uh, you know he was he was great, and there are some dark matches that are on YouTube that you can go back and check from that. Basically, mm-hmm. like ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one era, where he could have been slotted in, you know, any part of the roster uh, or any storyline that was going on at the time. So that's definitely. A missed opportunity, but back to you and your career. So what, who were some of your influences when you were getting into the business? Um, for me, I mean, I'd always been a fan of
3: just the overall product. And it, it's funny when this question gets asked me because I always try to, like, think of specific people. Um, but when I remember back, I legitimately remember loving Brett the Hitman Hart when he was still with the Hart Foundation. Um, there was something about, I don't know, his, what it was, his cockiness back then because he was still a heel when I first started uh, watching. There's something about that, and it was weird for me when he broke out into like a singles career and won the IC title and heavyweight title. I was like, wow, that's crazy that I liked that guy when he was just in a random tag team, you know, like it was weird. <clears throat> uh thought Macho Man or Randy Savage was awesome. A lot of guys like to talk about, like, the the Ric Flairs and Ricky Steamboats and stuff, and those weren't necessarily guys that appealed to me then. Those guys appeal to me more now that I understand the business and I'm kind of watching and know what's going on. But while watching wrestling, like, those guys never really jumped out at me. I liked guys like Mr. Perfect and... um, A little bit later, obviously, like the Shawn Michaels and the things like that, people that were more give, that could really wrestle a lot and and put on a performance as well as still be larger than life, I guess.
2: Now, getting really into you again, how did you break into the business? How did you start?
3: Um, I had a friend I went to high school with. We decided we were going to – become professional wrestlers. So we, there was a, a like an ad in the newspaper for a tryout. And we were going to go. Yeah, I think it was Mike Hudson, New Hampshire. And the day of uh, the tryout, he went, and I ended up going to the high school New England meet and helping coach uh, the team. At the time, I was kind of helping out with the middle school. And one of the assistant coaches wasn't feeling well, so I went and I helped out coach the high school team, so I missed it and At the time, I didn't think much about it, but my buddy then became a wrestler, a wrestler, as I like to say <laughs> he uh and then he trained with uh Jeff Costa and Maverick Wild and Sonny Good Speed and stuff up here in New England for uh, like a year and a half two years, and he was wrestling for a while before I finally was just like, "Well, you know, I've been putting this off long enough um <clears throat> I'd like to come train with you. And so he set up a meeting for me to meet with them. And I had to do like a, like a tryout thing to see if I was like physically capable of wrestling and stuff. It was like do as many push-ups as you can, uh, do as many squats as you can if you get to 100 stop, crunches if you get to 100 stop. And then a couple of other like random like body motor skills, function type tests, you know, like just to see if I could remember how to call spots and stuff like that. Just basically to see if I wasn't an idiot. And from there, you know, I was obviously pretty physically fit. Um, just started training the week after they told me what the price was. I left, went to my bank the next day, took out a personal loan for the amount. I think it was like 400 or something like that. And then came back to them with money, the, The following Tuesday, signed up and started training, you know, pretty immediately. Like, it was good that I had a friend there to kind of give me uh, a little bit of a heads up as far as, like, how to act and whatnot. It didn't really help me any. I still made a ton of mistakes early in my career as far as attitude and whatnot goes. It's funny that no matter how many times people told me what to do and what not to do, I still screwed up. And now it's the same way with my students. I, I'm like, don't do this, don't do this, I and mean, it's still all will. Uh, I guess you have to learn yourself rather than be told. Um, so, yeah, that's how I started off.
2: Now, next, you went on, you wrestled for several different territories. Eventually, you ended up working for NWA on fire. Can you talk about your experience with them and your uncanny hundred? Actually, excuse me, a 1,190-day title run.
3: Is that how long it was? (laughs) was That's crazy. Um,
2: Yeah, uh, a
3: friend of mine was starting to do some of the booking up there for NWA on fire. They were running Maine at the time, and he brought me in as a part of a tag team, and we started to do some things there. And then there were a couple shows in a row when my tag partner... couldn't make it for whatever reason. Uh, So I got started to get plugged into a couple singles roles, and the crowd just legitimately, like, hated me. Like, there was just something there. Uh, One of those, like, lightning in a bottle type things. Those fans up in Maine are legitimately, like, buying into the characters and whatnot, and there were some really strong baby faces at the time up there, and I just happened to be put with them and the strong dislike for me and the strong love for them really kind of clicked. And when I won the heavyweight title there, it was, I was the easy guy to hate. Uh, and it was now they're going to make money building up a couple of different baby faces to have them chase after me. Um, and that's where that long title reign came into play. Uh, I know there was a couple of months in there in between where a couple of shows didn't happen. And it's different. Like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, yeah, I held it for a 1,000 days. It's not like when CM Punk just held it for the 400 or whatever it was, where he's wrestling four or five days a week. Like, this company is running one or two shows a month. So I'm sure I held it for, like, two-plus years or whatever, but it's not like I had, you know, 900 title defenses. <laughs> it's a little bit different on this level, you know?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. But still, it's crazy to think in this day and age that someone's holding the title for that long a period of time.
3: Yeah, I mean, mean, it was was funny because I just don't, like I said, I never really realized how long a period of time it was, but uh, as, like, they started to build up a couple other different competitors underneath, and then I had, like, a nine-month-long feud with Julian Starr and then it moved into another feud with uh, Makua, and then did something else with somebody else. Uh, I was just like kind of realizing like, man, I would, I've been, I have been champ for quite a while and it's, you know, when I finally do lose, it like it's gonna hopefully like blow the roof off the place. Uh, unfortunately, <clears throat> by the time I did lose the title, they weren't really running Maine as much uh, and they had kind of shifted down to New Jersey but the television product was on both. It was down in Jersey and play, being played up in Maine. So uh, it still had a great crowd and stuff, but the the fans in Jersey aren't... They don't buy into it quite like the fans in uh, Maine do. The fans in Jersey are big-time wrestling fans, um, and they're a little bit, I guess you could say, smarter than the fans in Maine are. Uh, Maine, they just are completely immersed, love all the good guys, hate all the bad guys. Jersey, they like wrestling, and they want to see good stuff. And so because of that, I wasn't necessarily hated as much as I was up in Maine. I was very respected as a good wrestler and a good in-ring performer. So when I lost, yeah, they were happy the babyface went over, but it wasn't the same type of reaction I think I would have got had it happened up in Maine when we were when we were running pretty hot.
4: Yeah, you actually uh, you're lucky enough to be talking to two hardcore wrestling fans from Jersey, so uh, we <laughs> could definitely second your opinion there about uh, Jersey fans. However, when we were talking to Hanson, I did mention that the the fan base of New England and, and that area is very passionate and is great, and I personally love to watch shows that come out of that area. Now, kind of, I, mean, I was going to just you know ask you about a couple of the other indies that you work for, but. Working in New England primarily as a part of the, you know, the independent pro wrestling scene there, but were there any experiences where you were working for a promotion where it stood out that the fans were so passionate about the product that it made you step your game up even more than when you were going to get into the ring regularly? That, were any of the other uh, promotions you worked for, like, did, did any, any matches or, or moments stand out to you um, where, you know, the fans and their passion kind of pulled you in a little bit more? Um,
3: there's a couple different instances, instances of that. Uh, first being uh, Steve Bradley's promotion, uh, the WFA, Wrestling Federation of America. Um, <coughs> Steve had a way of promoting his shows that people started flocking to. Um, and he was really, really hot for a while. Excuse me, was it? Okay, I'm back. Um, things were really, really hot for a while for him, and he would be, he'd be he'd running like five or six shows a month uh, in different towns, and at that point in time, not only were the crowds just super really into everything, I was really young and hungry and trying to make a name for myself, and at the same time, um, Eddie Edwards was coming up as well, and we were both in WFA training there, and and wrestling there, and we ended up getting paired up against each other quite a bit uh, in our younger days, and things just really, really clicked with us to the point where we were doing, like, 45-minute Iron Man matches, like, five or six times a month at one point in time, um, and the way the crowd was really reacting to and buying into the product as a whole, like, we were, like, busting ass, like, we knew that type of thing was going to really make or break us not only just in that promotion, but throughout the rest of the region. And obviously, um, you know, things worked out quite well for both of us, just in, in different levels. I mean, he w- went on to, you know, wrestling Japan and ring of honor and now TNA and stuff. Uh, while I really grew here in the new England area, uh, next would probably be uh chaotic wrestling, uh, the chaotic wrestling fan base. I mean, they've been running Lowell, Massachusetts for like 11 and 12 plus years now. And their crowd there is still so passionate and they love every single, you know, little thing and nuance and character storyline for the most part that, you know, they do there that almost sometimes feels like you can't do anything wrong because they're just, they support the product so much that there was a long point in time there when I was like, all right. I felt like every single time I went through that curtain, every time I stepped out there, like I had to like fight to be, make sure I was the best match on this show. And the whole roster felt that way. Um, Everybody was just really trying to kill it. Uh, And it showed in the the product for a long period of time. Um, Those are the two biggest instances of the fan bases just really being awesome and supportive of everything as well as you know then gets all the boys to kind of buy into it and then you know it's it's one of those things you get caught up in the wave of momentum and everybody starts going and it's like a big ball that just keeps rolling and rolling down the hill and you never know when it's going to stop or slow down and you know that's when wrestling is really really fun uh, it can be a job and obviously we're hurt and beat up and stuff but when stuff like that happens like it's awesome it makes things a lot more fun
2: now you mentioned Eddie Edwards. I was going to actually mention him. You talked about him being a former Ring of Honor heavyweight champ. You made a few appearances in Ring of Honor. I believe it was 2007. I think you had a dark <clears> match, <throat> and then a few years ago you had a couple of TV matches. What was your experience working with them? Um,
3: I, I have nothing but positive things to say about Ring of Honor. Uh, I've known Kevin Kelly for a very long time. Uh, he used to work Uh, with Steve a little bit. Uh, He worked with Steve, obviously, in WWE, but he did a couple things for Steve in his WFA promotion. And then he was doing some of the writing and booking for uh, NECW, New England Championship Wrestling. And I kind of grew to know Kevin Kelly in my younger days. Um, Still remained very close. And then Ring of Honor started doing those, the camps that they do, where you can kind of get seen by them in an up-close personal (coughs) setting, and that's how, like, guys like Taven and Bennett and a bunch of other guys from New England got looks. So I was like, well, you know, it it certainly isn't going to hurt any. So I did one of the camps, and, you know, they absolutely uh, liked what they saw. Uh, I got to do a couple little random kind of, like, dark match type things. And then (coughs) when they came to Providence, you know, I got the call, like, Hey, we're going to use you on the, t- on the TV. I'm going to put you over in the four-way, and I'm going to uh, wrestle Taven for the TV title. And things look, were looking like uh, I was possibly going to be getting used uh, on and off a little bit, maybe somewhat regularly, with a chance for that to grow uh, in the future. Unfortunately, five days after uh, those TV tapings, I fractured my ankle, and I was out for like eight months, really derailed any momentum that I had there. <clears throat> um, to the point where uh, you know I was completely out of wrestling for like eight months and then it took like another six months or so of being back into wrestling before I really kind of started to feel like myself again um, and so I just recently reached out to them and I'm trying to get my foot back in the door so I'm there I mean it's a huge company uh, I would, would never expect a guy that was kind of had a foot in the door for them to hold a spot for me or anything like that like if I'd been a contracted guy, obviously it would have been something different, but, uh, so now it's like, you know, I got to knock all over again. Hey guys, I'm still here. Remember me, get my foot back in the door and, you know, go from there.
4: Now, if you can, uh, in 2012, you, um, you had a match uh, in the WWE, uh, against Ryback. Could you kind of tell us about that experience and, uh, how that all came about? (coughs) Yeah, uh, it was, I it was awesome for,
3: for me for numerous reasons. I mean, I had been to WWE TV and done various roles for them throughout the years. Would be it like security guard number three, or backstage, <laughs> backstage like photographer in a vignette with like great colleagues, Jinder Mahal, or you know, just random different like extra roles. But finally, um, they had started doing random like job matches with local guys. Uh, for certain characters and stuff. So you went to TV when one of those guys was being built up, you're like, Oh, okay, maybe I'll get a chance to have a match. And obviously this, this go around, they were doing things with Ryback, who was wrestling like the two guys at once. And they were looking for smaller guys at first. And the first night at raw, they did use two very small guys. And the next night on SmackDown, uh, they were finally going to do three people. Cause he had kept saying, feed me three, feed me three. And so they were going to do three people. And it was myself, uh, Elia and Julian star were the three people that he decided he wanted to work with. But the first thing was to make sure he could lift all three of us up for his finish. And he's strong enough to hold all three of us. It was the actual lifting part that he was having issues with. Um, the way that our bodies were all stacked on each other. He couldn't like scoop underneath to lift us up like a squat. He was basically like bent completely over and you'd have to like almost do like a deadlift or a good morning, uh, to stand up with all of us. And it's damn near impossible to lift, you know, close to 700 pounds on your back. I mean, I don't know if anybody can lift something like that in that manner. So he had to kind of whittle it down to two and he had picked Evan and he was kind of choosing between myself and Julian. And he was almost leaning more towards Julian when uh, Darren Young, I've known Darren for years. Uh, he you know he wrestled in the New England area in chaotic wrestling as well. And he's like, hey, Fury, do you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. And he's like, told Rabbi pick this guy, I know him, he's, he's good. I'll make you look good. And he's like, oh, really? Okay, cool. So that really kind of like got me 100% in that match. And, you know, the rest is – it was – The more nerve-wracking part for me was remembering the ridiculous lines and jokes that they had us do for our promo before the match (laughs) than
4: the uh, actual
3: actual match. I've been wrestling so long that, you know, it was almost nerve-wracking to, you know, finally be on WWE TV. But, I don't know, once I got in between the ropes, like, it was just another match to me. Like, it was easy. That was the easy part. Remembering those lines that we had to go
4: over a million times was the more... uh,
2: Nerve-wracking part.
4: I don't want to put you on the spot, but do you remember the line? (coughs) We did. We had a couple lines. We did uh, jokes. Our bit was a
3: lot of other guys that have wrestled Ryback were jokes. That was what the first guy said. And I was like, we're not jokes. These are jokes. And we told some knock-knock joke. It was like, (laughs) knock-knock, who's there? (laughs) The The end of who? The end of Ryback. And that it obviously got like groans and stuff because it's bad, but not like horrendous. <clears throat> the next joke was is just horrendous, like it's it's, it's gross. That so it we're like, why did the chicken cross the road? And it was to dominate Ryback. <laughs> and then the funny the funny part is, I had the opening line to the third joke. So it was two guys walking to a bar and they're supposed to hit Ryback's music, <clears throat> which they ended up doing, but the writer that was with us was talking about how sometimes these things get really good heat. And because we were like a taped on SmackDown, if things were getting really good heat, they wanted us to just continue going with random bad jokes without them <laughs> writing for us. And so we had to come up with like a bunch of other random things that we could just continue to spew off if they didn't hit Ryback's music. And so We were, like, racking our brain of, like, what other terrible, weird, ridiculous PG Ryback jokes can we come up with in case they decide to, like, either A, rib us, or B, it was actually getting good heat. Um, So we're now standing in the middle of the ring trying to tell jokes, and we're just killing ourselves trying to come up with the stuff. And trust me, when I say the jokes that we were starting to come up with weren't any better than the stuff they were writing for us anyway, so...
4: Uh, thank, thank goodness
3: they hit the music when they were supposed to.
4: Wow, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty good. But then, just one, one last question about this: Is Ryback as stiff as the pro wrestling community has made him out to be? <clears throat> he wasn't any stiffer than any other guys that've been in the ring. With, that's for sure.
3: I mean,
2: he's a huge
3: guy, uh, unbelievably strong. He probably doesn't even really even know his own strength. But uh, you know, he clotheslined me, and it was a safe clothesline. It was. Just you know, he laid it in. I had no issues with it. A couple of things he hit me with were no issue. I mean, I, I have absolutely zero complaints uh, in that department.
2: Now, if I could, I could just want to move back to the New England Pro Wrestling Academy. I was just curious, um, some up-and-comers that you <laughs> you've got there, some some good students that you trained. Oh.
3: Over the years, or... or, or, or No, no, I
2: mean, like, coming out now.
3: Uh, Let's see. The newest crew of students that we have that are on shows currently, um, uh, Cam Zagami and Anthony Green are two students now. Uh, They've started to wrestle quite a bit as a tag team. Uh, The Cam and Connection. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They're doing some stuff for... I think they're down in, like, the WXW area, down in uh, Pennsylvania and Philly and stuff, as well as teaming quite a bit uh, throughout the New England area here. Um, We also have uh, a couple newer kids by the name of Brick Mastone, uh, Christian Castanova, Um, there's another kid by the name of Kevin Park, but he just moved to uh, Atlanta. That's where he moved to. Yeah, he's going to be, I think, training down at the Mr. Hughes School down there to continue his training. Um, But those are like the newest, newest guys that are um, starting to get their foot wet in this wild world of professional wrestling, starting to uh, wrestle quite often, just about every weekend. Because in the New England area, I'm not sure how it is down there, but in the New England area, you can pretty much find a show every weekend if you really want to work that often. And I always tell my students, when you're first starting out, work as much as possible. Um, just to kind of get that experience. Like, I can yell and scream at you here all day and teach you what to do and stuff, but until you're out in front of the crowd, that's when you're really getting, like, on-the-job training. So even if it's 20 people or, you know, 2,000 people, like, it's good for you to get out there and see what works or doesn't work and feel it and stuff rather than just have me break stuff down for you here. So that's, like, the new crew uh, coming out. And then a little bit more established crew, obviously the Donovan Die Jack. Um Mikey Webb, who also was in the Ring of Honor Top Prospect Tournament. Um, those are like the little bit more experienced guys that are making the name for themselves in the in the uh, independent wrestling community.
2: <clears throat> it's funny we uh we were in Baltimore for ROH um a few weeks ago and we saw Cam and uh, Anthony Green get the hell yes, beat yeah. out of them by uh, Warbeard <laughs> and Roe.
3: Yeah, I was down there for that show as well. Um that's when you know, me kind of talking with Kevin and stuff. Um yeah, they came down. Uh, Mikey Webb was there as well. Uh, he was ended up being used briefly as one of um Dalton Castle's Peacock boys. Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, it was yeah. it was good to see um, you know, Cam and Anthony just kind of get a little bit of a ex- little bit of exposure, but yeah, I mean, obviously going against War Machine, you're going to get killed.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that was a fun match, though. Speaking of fun matches, what has been your favorite match, or maybe even favorite matches in your career?
3: Um, I think I decided that the overall best match I ever had um, was a match against Hanson uh, in Chaotic Wrestling. It was. At that point in time, uh, there was a manager that was starting to wreak havoc in Chaotic Wrestling, and he wanted to take over Chaotic Wrestling. uh, And so the match was then set for uh, Warbeard. If he wins, um, Sean Gorman becomes the president of Chaotic Wrestling. Uh, If I win, Sean Gorman has to leave Chaotic Wrestling and the stipulation was what it was. Like, it it was there, but the the people, like I said, the chaotic fans are really buying into these storylines and stuff, and there's something about that match, and the way the people reacted to every single thing we did and the way things were, uh, not to mention, I mean, you get a guy like Warbreed in there, like, it's going to be a good match regardless, but everything really, really, really just clicked on this night, and... It is awesome. Like I, I love that match. I, I can watch that match back right now and uh, really, really like enjoy every second of it. Like as a fan, I thought it was awesome. That's probably overall my favorite match. Um, I have a couple other matches like coming up through my career that I remember really liking. Like there was one particular Iron Man match that I had with Eddie Edwards up in White River Junction, Vermont that I thought was really, really good. Um, and then going into overtime and it was tied and ref bump and whatever else and blah, blah, blah. Like I, that sticks out to me as being awesome. I've never seen it. Like I just remember it from that night. And like I said before, we did a bunch of those, but there was something about that particular one that was just awesome. Um, I did a last man standing match one time in, Littleton, New Hampshire, against Alex Arion, that really sticks out in my memory as being awesome. The crowds in Littleton, New Hampshire are very similar to the crowds in Maine, where they're really believing the good guys are the good guys, and the bad guys are the bad guys, and, and that they just were really, like, loving me and hating him, and it made the crowd, it made the whole match that much more electric, and those are, like, the three that really stick out to me off the top of my head is throughout my career as being like, oh, yeah, like that was, okay, that was one I really remember and kind of love. Do you have a favorite opponent out of all those guys? Oh, boy. Uh, That's hard to say. Uh, I've been married to various people over the years, Uh, Todd being one of them, Eddie Edwards being another, uh, Julian Starr. Uh, being another, and a guy by the Justin Powers, or Shape, whatever you want to call him, being another, and uh, the Vampire being and being the last one. Those are probably the guys I've wrestled more than anybody in my career. And when I say more, I mean like not even close to the amount of times I've wrestled anybody else. Um, and with all those guys, I had really good Chemistry, like things just clicked and worked really well. So that's, maybe that's why we continue to be married everywhere. But um, it's hard for me to pick one person that would be my overall favorite. I mean, I could name any of them for various reasons. I could say Steve for the amount of I learned from him. I could say you know a bunch of people. So you no, know, I don't really have one particular favorite opponent.
2: Over the years that uh, you've worked. Obviously, the guys we've mentioned, and also you've worked Chris Hero, Jerry Lynn, you know a bunch of great name wrestlers, (laughs) great wrestlers in general. Do you have a dream match? Maybe somebody you haven't faced yet in your career that you always wanted to face?
3: Um, I don't know if I necessarily have a dream match. It's it's cool to be on the indies now, where there's so many people that are here, you know, especially now recently, you know, Samoa Joe being here, AJ Styles being here. Uh, those are two guys that I think, with my style and the way I wrestle, I could really match up and have a kick-ass match with those guys. Like uh, My matches with Hero, my second one especially, was really good, very physical as well as technical and stuff. Our styles meshed well, uh, but I think like a guy like Joe or AJ, we would be able to tear the house down and kill it.
2: Now you've done so much in your career. Obviously, you're the owner and the head trainer of New England Pro Wrestling Academy. Do you have any goals or aspirations left within the business that you want to, you know, complete before your career is done?
3: Um, as far as my in-ring career goes, it's it's weird. Like I was just thinking about this not too long ago. Like, if my career were to end, like tomorrow, like I don't think there's anything I'd be upset about. I think I've done everything that I wanted to before I started wrestling other than, you know, be under contract to WWE, like I'd have absolutely zero regrets. I feel I accomplished a lot more than a lot of people in this business have. Um, so as far as in-ring stuff goes, there's nothing necessarily that I would like to accomplish. I'd like to get a contract with somebody, obviously. That'd be great, but if it were to end tomorrow, no. Um, when my in-ring career is done, uh, I do want to branch out in this industry. And instead of just running the school, I wouldn't mind running my own promotion as well. Um, kind of piggybacking off of the school as well as a lot of the things that I learned from Steve when he was doing both and how to do things and the amount of things I've seen over the years for the various different promotions I have worked for, what works and what doesn't, and kind of use my knowledge in that way to build my own promotion as well. I think that would be awesome.
0: Saturday, December 12th, Sports Possessions at the Liberty Center in Westchester, Ohio, brings to you former WWE superstar Kevin Thorne, also known as Mordecai. Come meet the Pale Rider and become a member of the Bike Club just in time for the holidays. That's Saturday, December 12th, from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, comes to Sports Possessions at the brand-new Liberty Center in Westchester, Ohio. Visit sportspossessions.com for more information or call 513-759-2600. Kevin Thorne is back, and it's time for you to join the Bike Club.